Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're gonna share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay at home, dad. Meal planning, of course. Take out. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Oh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm going to crush it at being a husband. So unless I miss my guess, this is what you guys are thinking about now. The ladies are thinking, finally, a relationship series, right? He's going to talk some sense into this guy. And the guys are thinking, man, just when I started to like this guy, he's going to pull this. Uh, ladies, just a couple of things. Men think of relationships the way you think about a car. We don't want to work on it. We just want it to work, okay? And so when you say something like, hey, let's talk about our relationship, what we hear, here's what we hear. There's something wrong with us, and you need to fix it. That's what we hear. See, you, you might come home some evening, ladies, you've been at work or you've been running the kids here, there, or yonder, or you've, you've gone to get groceries or something like that. You may pull into the driveway and your husband's out, he's got one of the, the hood up on one of the cars and he's looking in there and you get out of the car and you say, is something wrong with it? And he says, no, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just checking. And if we ever said anything like that, most ladies would just walk away and think, well, why would you do that? If it isn't broken, then there's really not a reason to check it. See, ladies, that's the way most men view talking about relationships. If the relationship isn't broken and, and it's not broken down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about it? And the answer is, ladies, yes, we do need to talk about it. And guys, I suspect that there, this might be helpful for you as well on the other side of that equation. So for the next four weeks, we are going to talk about relationships, new relationships, engaged relationships, uh, maybe you've been dating a while, marriage relationships. We're going to talk about all different kinds of relationships. And today is just the introduction. So I'm, I'm going to take today and kind of set everything up. And if this is your first time at Cross Lane and you've come expecting me to do a Bible study, some mornings that happens and once in a while it doesn't. And this morning is one of those when it doesn't. Doesn't mean that we don't love the Bible. We do. Doesn't mean we don't preach from the Bible. We do. Everything I'm going to say today is biblically based and and, and, you know, it's all supported by Scripture, I think. Um, I'm going to use one verse of Scripture at the end, but this one isn't real Scripture heavy. So if you leave today and think, boy, he didn't even use the Bible, come back next week, okay? Because this one is really just a setup for the three weeks that are to follow, and uh, it's really important that you come back. Today, I'm just going to try to give us some words 
and, and, and try to give some words to the tension that we sometimes feel and, and the hope is that we will find some hooks where we can talk about some things and, and they might be things that you've tried to talk about in the past and maybe it didn't go that well. Um, so, so that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. So when it comes to relationships, um, all of us has this invisible box, okay? We've, we've all got one, whether you realize it or not, we've got an invisible box. And you may be single or dating right now, you know, early dating years, and, and you haven't given a lot of attention or time to this box. If I asked you what's in your hopes, dreams, and desires box, you might not even be able to tell me. If you're engaged, maybe you've talked about this with your fiance that, you know, this is what's in my hopes, dreams, and desires box. If you're married, you definitely need to know what is in one of these because it's, it's as you're going to see, it's just really important. But we, we all have one of these, and, and basically it is hopes, dreams, and desires. Um, so I've got some things in here, like, like money. You, you, where money is concerned, you have some um, aspirations and hopes and dreams and desires wrapped around this, about what you're going to do with this. I mean, you, you, when you come into a marriage relationship, you think to yourself something. You think we're going to have a joint bank account. We're not going to have a joint bank account. We're going to be loaded. We're going to win the lottery, which is not a good plan. Don't count on that. Um, you know, I don't, she's not going to in, get into my money and I'm not going to get into her money. We're going to keep it all separate. He may come into it and think, you know, I don't really need money, honey. I just love you. If we've got love, that's all we need, right? And she's thinking, no, we need some cold, hard cash is what we need, right? So um, that might be something that's really important to you. You, you, you have hopes, dreams, and desires around chores that are going to happen in your house. And probably this has something to do with what you've seen as you've grown up. You know, what you saw in your house model, that's kind of how you probably transfer to what it's going to be like for you. So there's some hopes, dreams, and desires wrapped around that. All of us, I think, would like to have one of these someday, a house. You know, I'm, maybe someone says, no, I just, we're going to rent. We don't really need to own one. We're just going to rent one. But most people have some hopes, dreams, and desires. You know, there's certain styles that you like. Um, a certain architecture, maybe you want a big backyard. So, you know, he might think, I don't want a big backyard, you have to mow a big backyard. How about we put a pool in the backyard? That'd be great. So you've got some hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to one of these. How many bedrooms, how many baths? Do you want a dining room? Is there going to be a fireplace in it? Hopes, dreams, and desires as it comes, as it relates to a house. There are hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to one of these right? He's, he's driving his sports car, and he doesn't realize that one day, a day is going to come when he's got to trade in the sports car on the minivan. Andy, Andrew Peterson talked about that, traded in the sports car on the minivan, the Mustang for the minivan. And he's thinking, I'll never have to do that. I can just keep my sports car. I'll be able to get the family and all the car seats and everything into my sports car, <laughs> right? So, and we all know that he's not going to be able to, but he's got hopes, dreams, and desires that he's going to be able to hang on to that. And honey, can we just, can I put this in the garage? And she says, no, we're going to put the minivan in the garage because it's got to stay warm and it's got to be clear of snow and all that. And so he's got hopes, dreams, and desires. She's got hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to a car. Um, let's see, what else? Babies, definitely. You're going to think about some hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to babies. <clears throat> and, and so... 
You know, if you grew up a, 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 an only child, you probably think to yourself, well, I don't want just one baby. We've got to have more than one, so you're going to have another baby. And now it gets to the place where we didn't have a boy, so I wanted a boy and a girl, so we're just going to keep going until we have a boy. And you just keep going, and they just, you know, it's just more and more, it's more and more girls, and it's just like, well, we can't stop now. I mean, surely the odds are on our side, and eventually you just end up with a basketball team that's, you know, I don't know what, how you'd make that happen in the NCAA, but, uh, you know, a, a mixed team, co-ed, I don't know. Um, you've got hopes, dreams, and, and desires as it relates to the time that you're going to spend, right? You think, well, we're going to spend every waking moment together. We're going to Netflix every night on the couch together. And he's thinking, no, I'm going to be with the dudes on Thursday night. And, and she doesn't know that that's what you're thinking. Or maybe she thinks that. She thinks it's going to be ladies' night every Thursday night. And he's like, well, how many, you know, every Thursday night? How about every other? Or how about once a month or something like that? But you've got hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to how you're going to spend time. You've got hopes, dreams, and desires about one of these. This is a calendar. And, and, you know, she might look at you and say, honey, I only want three holidays. You can have the rest. I want Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and we're going to spend those with my family, and you get the rest of them. You get Veterans Day. You get Groundhog Day. You get Halloween, and we can spend all those with your family, but Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, those are mine, and so you just need to get used to it, buddy. That's the way it's going to be. Um, You've got hopes, dreams, and desires. I was talking to some friends of mine this morning before the second service, and, and they were talking, they're going on a trip coming up. And I told them, I said, well, the sermon is going to be about some of that. You've got hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to travel, right? Some of you hope to see the world. You want to see Paris at night. You want to see the Eiffel Tower and give him a kiss under the Eiffel Tower. Meanwhile, he's thinking, you know, I'm good in Terre Haute. I mean, it is the garden spot of the Midwest. Why would we ever need to leave? It is a level above. So, I mean, why do we need to go anywhere else? We live in the greatest place in the world. So I don't need to see the Eiffel Tower. So you've got hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to travel. <laughs> you have hopes, dreams, and desires, guys. You, you have hopes, dreams, and desires that your wife never comes to bed in something that looks like this, right? I mean, and, and she thinks to herself, well, you know, he just wants me to be comfortable. I mean, he, he doesn't care what I look. He accepts me just the way I am. It doesn't matter to him what I wear to bed. Eh, beg to differ with you, it kind of does. Um, then we have hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to conflict, right? The way you saw conflict happen in your house probably informs the way you see conflict that is about to happen in your marriage, like you might think to yourself, well, I, you know, I just grew up a bunch, amongst a bunch of yellers. I mean, we just yelled. When we got mad, we just fought it out, you know? And, and she's thinking, no, I grew up in a quiet house. We, we, you know, we showed dignity and respect to people. We didn't yell at people. That's not how you solve problems. That's not, that's not how you, you, you handle conflict. You don't yell and scream and go crazy with people. That's not how it works. You just can't do that. Um, we're, we're, you've got hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to how you're going to handle those things, especially conflict. And then there's one big one, and I don't really have anything to show you. I don't have a visual for it, per se, but it's how are we going to treat each other? How are we going to treat each other? 
How, how am I going to behave toward him? How, how, what am I going to do when she does X? Right? When, when she does that fill-in-the-blank thing, how am I going to respond to that? I mean, you have an expectation. My fiancé, my girlfriend, my husband, he's never going to say that to me. He will never do that to me. She's just never going uh, to question me. You know, she's just not. She, what I say is going to go, and she's not really going to question any of that. You may never have defined it. In fact, most people don't. But you have a pretty clear expectation about how you will be treated in a relationship. If she loves me, she would never do that. If he loved me, he would never do that. You have some expectations about how you're going to be treated. Now, there are several things that impact what we put in our hopes, dreams, and desires box, and we all have a box. There are several things that impact that. One of them is, one of the things that impacts that is what we have seen and heard. What you've seen in relationships and what you've seen modeled and what you, it might have been the, the, the couple next door. You know, I don't know who you saw growing up, but you, you saw something and it was your culture and, and a lot of what impacts what we will do in our marriages and in our relationships is what we've seen and heard. But primarily the thing that impacts what we put in our box is really what we have experienced. And for many of us, what we have experienced is the home that we grew up in, right? So, and, and this is where this gets kind of complicated and this can kind of be emotional, but most of our hopes, dreams, and desires are our response to what we grew up in and what we grew up around. We're either trying to avoid something or we're trying to replicate something. We either saw something growing up that we don't want to be anything like or we saw something growing up and we're like, yeah, that's what I want. I want it to look like that. But even in those situations where we're trying to either recreate something great or stay away from something that's not so great, in the middle of all this, in the middle of that, is me. It's me. And my hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to me. Now, <clears throat> so I don't know wh when this happens, but at some point either, you know, after we've been dating a while, or sometimes it can happen when we, we get engaged, sometimes it's, it's right before we get married. I don't know when it happens, but at some point what we end up doing is we take our hopes, dreams, and desires box and we basically offer it up to the person that we are going to be with, and we want to hand it off to them. These are my hopes, dreams, and desires. Now I'm going to give these to you, and this is why I'm marrying you. This is why I said yes. This is why I asked you out. This is why I want us to, to, to be together, because I have these hopes, dreams, and desires. And while it may feel like hopes, dreams, and desires to you, it does not necessarily feel like hopes, dreams, and desires to the person that you're handing it to. What it feels like to them is something entirely different. What it feels like to them is expectation. This is what is expected of me. Those aren't hopes, dreams, and desires. That, that's a whole new set of expectations where I'm concerned. Okay? To, to them, to the person that you're handing it to, it feels like a weight. It feels like a responsibility. It's, it's this thing, it's a, it's a raised bar. It's a homework assignment. It feels like to them that if they don't come through, that you're going to be disappointed in them, that you're going to let them, they're going to they're let you down somehow. Expectations are simply this. 
a strong belief that something will happen, and it may not happen in a month, and it may not happen in the first year, but it's eventually going to happen, right, honey? Right, honey? We're going to get there, right? Right? I mean, eventually we're going to get there. A strong belief that something will happen or that it will be the case in the future. See, it's not, the home, it's not our dream home yet. We're working on it. We're working toward that. He hasn't completely gotten rid of that, but we're working on it. It's going to get better. We're getting better. She hasn't completely changed her mind, but I'm working on her. I'm going to get her there. You know, and it's won't we, won't we, won't we. We'll get there, won't we. It's this, all this expectation. Expectation is the strong belief that something will happen or will be the case in the future. But here's the problem, and you're smart enough to know this. That attempting to create, to recreate or avoid something from the past transforms hopes, dreams, and desires into expectations. So even in the best of relationships, even when the best fall down sometimes, even when wrong words seem to rhyme, out of the doubts that fill my mind, I somehow find that you and I collide. Some people know the song. First service, nobody knew the song. I'm like, you're kidding me. Told them they'd been listening to too much Christian radio. You and I collide. And here's the thing. When eyes collide, and it's really eyes, it's not you and I, it's I and I. Eyes collide. When eyes collide, we swap boxes. Okay, we just basically take our boxes and we swap them. I give you mine and you give me yours and what is intangible and hopeful and dreamy and I've spent years thinking about this and I've always envisioned what it would be like and it would be like this. Suddenly it is a burden to someone and you are handed their burden and their expectations as well. See, when eyes collide, one of five things happens and I want to talk about the first four this morning. When eyes collide, we do one of four things. And the most extreme thing that we do is we leave. We say, you know what? That's not what I had in mind. That's not what I bargained for. I didn't know. You weren't honest. Um, you didn't make it clear. You changed the rules. You changed gears on me. Uh, I can't carry this expectation. I can't live up to what you're asking me to live up to. I'm out of here. And what you do next is you basically just pick up your box of hopes, dreams, and desires that have become expectations, and you carry that to the next person, and you hand it to them. So that, that's the first thing we do is we leave, oftentimes. Another thing that we do sometimes is, is we win. In almost every relationship, there's one person that's stronger than the other. Not always, but usually there's one that's stronger than the other. And in those situations, oftentimes that person will power up and they win. And they leverage the four C's of an unsatisfying and dysfunctional relationship. And I'm going to tell you what the four C's to a dysfunctional relationship are. If you want to have a terrible relationship, here's how you do it. You convince, you convict, you control, and you coerce. If you're in a horrible uh, relationship right now, chances are good that that is going on somewhere in your horrible relationship. Convince, convict, control, coerce. That is the recipe for a bad relationship. You convince. Look, honey, I realize that you thought it should be this way, but you're wrong. I know you thought it was going to be like this, but it's not going to be like that. Let me tell you how it's going to be. Right? That's convince. See, honey, you, you've got the wrong box. 
Your box is bad, and my box is good. And if you just will get in my box, everything's going to be fine. We're going to get along just fine. If you'll just cash in your box and become more like me, you'll be happier. I mean, think about it. Aren't you the happiest when you abandon everything God called you and made you to be, and you sell out to try to be what somebody else is trying to make you? Doesn't that really just make you happy? That's when you're happiest, right? When you just kind of uh, conform to somebody else? Of course that works. So honey, if you'll just abandon all that and just come be more like me and like the things I like and have my hopes, dreams, and desires, then, then we're going to be fine. So you convince or you convict. You convict because you make them feel guilty. You say things like, okay, I don't want to be critical, but that's just dumb, okay? That's just stupid. I mean, it's just stupid. I mean, that didn't work for your parents. We both know that. I know that's what you want. You want that because that's how your parents did it. But we both know your family's a train wreck, right? Okay, we know that. So I don't know why you think this is going to work for us when it clearly didn't work for them. So we convict. We control. We coerce. That's how you have a dysfunctional relationship. And here's the interesting thing. The winner is happy, right? I mean, the winner's perfectly happy. In fact, the winner's always smiling. Life is great, and they're living the dream, and everything's going their way, and they have somebody helping them live out their dream, and they can't quite figure out what's wrong with the partner. You know, she's heard to say something like, well, he's getting better. You know, he's not quite there yet, but he's, he's getting better. And I'm happy because we got two people living out of my box, and ultimately and eventually conform to the image of your box, which, of course, is the correct box, right? I mean, your box is always the correct box. And it's just the right way to do things. So back to what unhappy couples do. They leave, they win. Third thing they do is they conform. We have a tendency to conform. We become somebody we're not to, com to compensate for somebody who won't love us. We become somebody we're not to compensate for somebody who will not accept us the way we are. We abandon who we are and we embrace what makes the other person happy regardless of whether or not it works for us. We just basically conform. And conforming works for a while. It really works for the person who won. They love it. And for a while, it works for the person who has conformed because before the conforming happens, there's all this vitriol, there's all this, this animation, there's all the, the temperature in the relationship is really high. There's a lot of heat and there's a lot of stuff going on. But the minute one person conforms, even the person who conforms is happy because now the temperature comes down in the relationship. And now it's not so heated. But it doesn't matter, you know, whether I've, I've browbeat them or forced them to conform, I'm happy, right? So that's what happens a lot of times. But at the end of the day, if somebody in a relationship is simply giving up who they are to become somebody they're not, at the end of the day, they lose respect for their partner and their partner loses respect for them. And then the fourth thing happens when, we, when the eyes collide is we compromise. And really, for many, this is the goal. I, I think for a lot of people, they, in fact, I've heard people say, you know, a good marriage is a marriage of compromise. Like, that's the goal. Like, that's what we're supposed to do is compromise. You just compromise. Maybe you saw this with your parents. You know, you would say, well, my parents weren't unhappy. I mean, they weren't happy, but they weren't unhappy. You know, they just kind of got along. They, they somehow, they just worked it out. And, and, and you might say, you know, my, my parents just kind of figured it out somehow. 
Because in a compromised marriage, I'm going to do my part and you're going to do your part. And I'm going to keep my eyes on you to make sure you do what you're supposed to do and you're going to keep your eyes on me to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do. In a compromised marriage, there is scorekeeping a little bit. It's a little bit contractual. Okay? You're like, okay, Brett, what do you mean it's a little contractual? Sounds like this. Okay, we agreed this year we're going to your parents. Next year, we're going to my parents. Now, I know that your dad's health is declining, and I know he may be in bad shape next year. Doesn't matter. We've already decided we're going to my parents, and that doesn't change. I don't care how bad he gets. I don't care how sick he gets. Next year is my year. You hear that? It's my year. It's this contractual thing. We've, we've, we've made the rules up, and, and we, we don't deviate from the rules. It doesn't matter whether it's a dating relationship or an engagement or a marriage. There, there's low trust, and the trust just continues to get lower and lower and lower. And where there is low trust, there is also going to be low intimacy. You cannot be intimate with anyone you are not willing to fully give yourself to. And you will not fully give yourself to someone that you do not completely trust. In fact, you can't completely give yourself to someone you do not completely trust. If you're here this morning and you're single and you want to know the secret to great sex in a marriage, now I have your attention, don't I? Right? If you want to know the secret to great sex in a marriage, I'm here to tell you that it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with sex. In fact, it has nothing to do with anything physical. Sex has everything to do with intimacy, and intimacy is tied to trust. They're, they're tied together. And in a relationship that is characterized by any of these things, but perhaps especially where there is compromise, something physical may still happen, but it is not amazing. And you really wouldn't call it intimacy because everybody is a little bit on guard lest they be taken advantage of, and it is ultimately very, very unfulfilling. It'll work. You can go the distance. You can end your life together but there is a better way. And at the end of the day, a compromised relationship is fueled by a commitment to the wrong thing. And this is going to sound bad when I say it, but we're going to talk about it. It is actually fueled by a commitment to a relationship. That is the wrong thing. Bad relationships get fueled by a commitment to the relationship. And that's, I know... See, you've probably heard somebody say, I'm committed to my marriage. Really? Is that what you want? You want to you be with somebody that's committed to your marriage? I mean, that's really what we're after here? You want your marriage to devolve into, well, I'm committed to the marriage. See, here's the thing. You did not marry a marriage. You didn't get engaged to an engagement. You got engaged to a person. I, I, want, I want that person to say, I'm committed to you, not I'm committed to the marriage. I mean, that's, gee whiz. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, it's better to be for marriage than to be against marriage. I mean, I'll give you that. But there's something beyond that because there's another face, there's another name, there's another person in the equation besides you. And at the end of the day, compromise will work, but it's not all that much fun, and it's really not all that fulfilling. When eyes collide... We leave, we win, we conform, we compromise, 
But for sure, when eyes collide, we loses. We loses. Now, I told you there was a fifth option, and the fifth option is what happy couples know. And Kyle is going to spend next week talking to us about what happy couples know, um, that fifth option. I'm kind of jealous because he gets to expound on the verse, but uh, that's, that's for him to do. But for the next few minutes, I want to spend some time trying to frame the problem in such a way that will help us to understand exactly where we're headed for the next few weeks. Because I doubt much of what I've said to you at this point is new. I think, you know, as I've said it, you've thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I've known that, that that's kind of how it was. I've never maybe heard it quite put like that. So let me frame this one more time in a little different way, and then we'll wrap up for the day. Ex- expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. That's what expectations do. In any relationship, expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, when I put all of my hopes, dreams, and desires on you, and I expect you to do something about them or to do something for them, in that moment, I live under the assumption that now you owe me. Once I put these expectations on you, you owe me. There's something that's owed to me. So we've committed our lives to each other, and we're moving towards this if we're engaged, which means that, that these are my hopes, dreams, and desires, and now I'm handing them to you, and I expect you to do something about it. This is what you owe me. You are now in debt to me. You owe me attention. You owe me to fully resolve the conflict. You owe it to me to make sure that I enjoy whatever we do, the calendar or the clock, or the the car, or the house. You owe it to me to make sure that we enjoy that together. You owe me affection. You owe me to pay the bills. You owe me to provide for me. You owe me to make sure the house is clean. You owe me to, to stay in shape, to stay fit. You owe me patience. You owe me to play with the kids. You owe me clean socks. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. You owe me, and I owe you. Expectation creates a debt debtor relationship which is not what god had in mind when he first put man and woman together and when he came up with this idea called marriage that's not what he had in mind see for most marriages it all boils down to this that's what you're supposed to do right you ever heard somebody say that that's what you're supposed to do that's what a man does that's what my dad did that's what a woman does that's what my mom did Now, I have a question for you, and I know that you know the answer to this. How much gratitude, because this is a huge part of the equation, how much gratitude do you express to people who pay you what they owe you? Think about it for a minute. The answer is minimal, right? Not much. We rarely express gratitude for what we've come to expect. And here's the tricky part about being with the same person for a lot of years. Um, In every marriage and in every relationship, we kind of fall into these routines, right? We all kind of find these roles. And it's not bad. I'm not suggesting that it's bad at all. In fact, it's it's a good thing. I think it's an unavoidable thing. I don't think you can help it. I just think that as two people stay together for an extended period of time, there's certain things that you're gonna fall into. She does these things, I do these things. Now, they might be different couple to couple, You know, in some households, she always mows, and he never mows. In some households, she would never think of mowing. That's his job. Doesn't matter. 
It's whatever they like doing. I know a lot of women that love getting on the mower because their kids can't bother them when they're on the mower. Phone doesn't ring. Can't, don't have to answer an email, right? But we've all got those roles. We've all got these routines that we fall into. That's just the way the world works, and that's a good thing. But when you or I come to expect from someone what they've always done, the gratitude is always going to be minimal, minimal which communicates, this is what I expected all along. I'm not going to thank you for that because that's what I expected from you. See, if I get so comfortable with what you're doing that I don't express gratitude for it, I come to expect it from you. So here's what gratitude is, and you can start working on this today. Gratitude is, wow, I didn't expect that. And it sounds like this. What do you mean you didn't expect it? I make your lunch every morning for you when you go to work. I know. And every morning you fix my lunch and you hand it to me, and I'm surprised every morning you do it. Well, honey, every morning for the last three years, this is what I've done. I know, babe. And every morning when you fix a sandwich for me, I'm surprised every morning you do it, and I'm just really thankful that you do it because I don't expect it. So thank you. See, gratitude says I didn't expect that, but I'm grateful for it. This is how you supercharge and fuel healthy relationships. Gratitude. Gratitude is an indication that I have not filled up a box of expectations. The other thing about this whole debtor thing is that it's, it's covert and it's harmful. And you don't see it happening. You just wake up one day and you ask yourself, how did we get here? I mean, we're fighting like cats and dogs. We're not getting along. We're just kind of going through the motions. This, is, this does not feel good. How did we get here? See, a debt-debtor relationship eliminates the possibility of unconditional love. Because if you owe me, you can't love me. Owe me eliminates love me. If your husband owes you flowers, here, honey, here are some flowers, and you expected it, then you're back to zero, right? Because if you expect flowers, let's just, let me explain it this way. If you expect flowers in your relationship, there is a divot, right, that is called no flowers. And I'm expecting flowers. And if he gives me flowers, then he just filled in the divot, we're back to zero. You understand that? It's expected, he gave them to me, so I'm not going to thank him for it. I expected it. That's what he was supposed to do. Well, it's my birthday. Oh, that's right, and I've got reservations made, and here's a card, and I got you a gift. See, honey, I remembered all those things. Aren't you proud of me? Yeah, I guess. Right? That's how, that's gross, gross, gross. I was worried that would happen. Always, always give a public speaker grace. All right? It's not easy up here. I got flies flying around me and communion juice and communion crackers clogging up my throat. and It's, it's awful. Mercy. I'm glad we don't have video yet because that would be on video and that would be really bad. As it is now, you guys can just go out and say that it happened and I can deny the whole thing. <clears throat> Where was I? Oh, you expect it. When you expect it, it's, you know, it's, I mean, you're not going to thank somebody. I mean, think, when, you, when you go to a, a, a restaurant and your waiter brings you water and brings you your dish and, and it's not early and it's not done with a smile and it's not anything special, you probably tip 
him or her the normal thing. You might even dock their tip a little bit, right? Because that's what you expect. You get what, this is what's expected. I'm just going to, I'm not going to really thank you. But think about what happens when your server knocks it out of the park. Think about what happens when your server just really nails the whole thing and makes your dining experience something that you and your family will never forget. Don't you thank that person? Don't you go to, I, listen, if you're good, I, I will go to your boss and I'll try to get you and take you to your boss. They usually think I'm going to get them in trouble. But I'll take them to the boss and I'll say, take me to your boss. And she, you know, they get this look like, oh, no. We go to the boss, and I'll put my arm around her, him or her, and I'll say, I just want you to know, they did a fantastic job for us today. And somebody in this restaurant needs to know that. And boy, it just makes all the difference. See, when you, when you expect something, you don't do that. But when you get the unexpected, gratitude flows out of receiving the unexpected. Because if you owe me, you can't love me. Owe me eliminates love me. Expectations actually remove the margin necessary for love to be recognized and appreciated. This is why a box full of expectations undermines intimacy in a relationship. Because this right here, this feels like pressure. Okay? Yeah, this was, this was my hopes, dreams, and desires. I get that. But, but listen, you might see this as hopes, dreams, and desires, but for me... This is expectation, and I don't know how I'm going to do some of that. In fact, it doesn't, feel like, it, it, it doesn't feel like love at all when I do this. It feels like I'm expected to do this stuff. Like, I'm never going to get a thank you for doing this stuff. This is just, boy, you better get with it. You, you better straighten it up. See, this is no way to live. Th this is no way to live. So, a couple of questions as I put these things back in here. A couple of questions for you. Um, what, what do you do, what should you do with your hopes, dreams, and desires? Do you just ignore them? Do you just act like they don't exist? Well, I guess I'm not supposed to have any. I mean, what do we do with them? Do we just pretend? Well, I, I, you know, I've always wanted a house. Let me, I worked hard on that house. I want to show you the door. I've always wanted a house. I've always wanted a certain kind of house. You know, so do I just abandon that? What do you do about that? What do you do about something like conflict? Do you just get yelled at all the time? You think, well, I really wish I didn't get yelled at all the time, but I guess that's just the way it's going to have to be. I guess, you know, do, do you just pretend? You just act like it's not that big a deal? Do you, do you just pretend that this isn't a big deal? I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. What do you do with your hopes, dreams, and desires about travel? Do you just say, well, I guess I'll never see Paris. I'll never get kissed under the Eiffel Tower. Do you just say, well, I guess I'm never going to get to spend Christmas with my family. It's always going to be her side. It's always going to be his side. I, I guess that's, that's the way that's going to go. Is it going to be, well, um, I guess she really doesn't want to spend that much time with me. She'd rather spend it with her girlfriends. I had some hopes, dreams, and desires for the way we were going to spend our time, but but maybe I was wrong about that. You know, kids, I was hoping that we'd have some kids, but um, that doesn't, I mean, are you just, what do you do with your hopes, dreams, and desires? What do you do with them? What do you, you know, money. You just, you've got some hope. Are you just supposed to deny the fact that you, you need some of this to get by and you've, you've got to do something? What about a car? Man, I always dreamed that I would have that, 
that, that sports car, and man, it, it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen. So what do you do? For some of you, you have spent years filling this box. And it's not bad that you've got one of these boxes, okay? It's not bad. In fact, some of you have this kind of box because of the image of God that is on you. There's some things that you've got in your hopes, dreams, and desires box that are really good things. I bet some of you have dreams to go on a mission trip. Some of you have dreams to give money to something big. Some of you have dreams to be a part of something that's, that's really a big deal. I mean, it's not all bad. Are you just supposed to feel guilty? Are you just supposed to deny it? Are you supposed to act like it doesn't exist? You just, you just lie and ignore it? The short answer is what do you do with the things in this box? Here's the short answer. You keep them in the box. You keep them in the hopes, dreams, and desires box. Which leads to the next question, how do I do that? How do I make sure that the stuff in here doesn't get put in the expectations box? Because I don't want that to happen. I don't want to do that to somebody. How do I, make, how do I keep things in the right box? And the short answer to that question is the correct answer to the next question. And the next question is going to bother you a little bit. And it's going to bother you because you know the answer to this question. This is something that happy people know. This is not intuitive and this may make you run away, but this is a game changer. Okay, what I'm about to say changes the game in relationship. The best way to keep hopes, dreams, and desires in the right box and out of the expectations box is to ask the question, what do they owe you? What do they owe you? And happy couples know that the answer to this question is, they don't owe me anything. They don't owe me anything. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything. I owe Dee Dee everything. I'm trying to give to her, make her day great. I'm trying to make her week awesome. I'm trying to make her life as good as I can make it. I don't expect anything from her. And you know what? She does the same thing for me. She tries to make my week great, tries to make my days good. She's constantly doing for me, giving to me. Let me pay for that. I'm getting you lunch. We argue over who's going to pay for stuff sometimes. And, and, and she's constantly giving to me and never expects me to do anything for her. I apologized to her this week because she had to go out and, and, and uh, scrape her car off. I said, I should have done that for you. I had that expectation of me for me to do that for her. She said, I didn't expect you to do that for me. See, happy couples know that, that I owe them everything. They don't owe me anything, which doesn't make any sense. So let me say it again. Happy couples know I owe them everything. They don't owe me anything in return. But let me tell you about happy couples that you know. There's something about them that doesn't make any sense. Okay, they've gone through some really hard times and they're happy. That doesn't make sense. The happy couples you know might not be beautiful, they might not be rich, and they might not be famous, and they might not even be all that smart, but they're happy. That doesn't make any sense. The happy couples that you know, they're not talented, rich people, but they're happy. And, and the happy people you know, some of them have kids, and some of them haven't been able to have kids, and it hasn't ended their marriage, and they didn't fall apart, and they're still happy. That doesn't make any sense. Something about happy couples is always a mystery, and I'll tell you what part of the mystery is. They live every day under the assumption that they owe each other everything, and they don't expect anything in return. 
Now, happy Christian couples, they take their cue from Jesus' one all-encompassing command. At the end of Jesus' ministry years, he gets his guys together and he says, listen, I know you guys were raised up under this like 613 different commands, like there were a whole bunch of them, and you had to know them all. Jesus basically reduced it down to two, and then right before he left the disciples, he said, I'm going I'm to boil it down to one thing. So John, are you ready? Get ready. I'm going to give you the one thing. Here's the one thing. Here we go. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. See, you heard it said that you should do unto others as, they, as, as, uh, as you would want done unto you. That's what you've heard. No, no, we're not going to do that. My dad actually had a friend that perverted that whole thing, and he said, I want to I do unto others before they do unto me. That was his whole motto. <laughs> That's not good either, okay? Jesus said, no, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then Paul comes behind that, and he takes Jesus' overarching single command, and he applies that to all kinds of relationships and situations, and one that he applies it to is the relationship of marriage, and next week, Kyle is going to go over that with you, and like I said, I'm really jealous because that, that's going to be a good one. But here's another statement that Paul made as he, as he teased out this one big command that Jesus left for his followers. Paul wrote to all Christians everywhere, and walk in the way of love, and then Paul uses two words that he used a lot. Paul is going to use, he, he would say, take your cue from the Savior. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And Christian men and Christian women take this idea and they drop it into the center of their marriage with all of the potential and tension. And when they do, marriage begins to look like a submission competition a submission competition and do you know what that looks like a sprint to the back of the line that's what it looks like a race to the back of the line which sounds miserable which is why so few try it but those who do enjoy it and it's one of the reasons it's one of the things that happy couples know so two pieces of homework and just let me say this um, don't leave here and talk to your spouse about this message, <laughs> okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. This isn't one of those messages where you listen to and like, I hope he's listening. You know, don't, don't elbow. This isn't an elbow message. I hope she's getting it. Are you, is she taking notes? I hope she's taking notes. I'm going to slip over and underline that part right there. <laughs> don't do that. This is a message that I want you to listen to. I, I wouldn't hurt you to go find, get it online. This will be online by Tuesday afternoon. Get it online and listen to it again and listen to it for you. For you. Okay? I, without getting too deep into this, this was very instructive for me this week. Okay? Very instructive for me this week. You don't need to be focused on your, uh, your spouse, you know, the other person. No. God, what are you trying to say in me? So, so don't talk about the sermon today, but two questions. First question is this, and it's a you question. What's in your box? You need to know. You need to know what's in your box. A lot of people, it's amazing. They don't know what's in their box, and they're expecting somebody else to make them happy, and they're not even really sure what's in the box. I, I was doing some counseling with somebody not long ago, and I asked him, I said, what, you know, what are your expectations? She said, I really don't know. Well, if you don't know, how's he going to know? And she said, that's a great question. 
Second question is this. Are you expecting someone to carry what's in your box? What's in your box, and are you expecting someone else to carry what's in your box? Is there someone that you love that you are forcing to carry something, and you think it's hopes, dreams, and desires, but it's not? It's expectation. What's in your box, and is someone you love, are you expecting them to carry it? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we love you. That's why we're here. We've come to worship, and we've come to be instructed by you and, and let your spirit speak to us, and I pray that that has happened this morning. And Father, I pray that we're not elbowing to the left or right. I pray that this is all just focused on me, white hot spotlight on me and my heart and what I need to do to be a better spouse. And Father, would you begin to reveal to us what is in our hopes, dreams, and desires box and then answer the question, have we turned that into expectations for other people? And if we have, would you help us to correct it? Help us to not, we, we, we don't get rid of the box. The box is in your will. I think it's, you, you want us to have a box of hopes, dreams, and desires. But it's how we handle them and it's what we do with them. And putting that on somebody else is not loving someone else. It's hard on them. So, Father, would you use what we've talked about today to begin to maybe heal up some things and help us to get along better. And, Father, throughout this series, I pray for uh, Kyle and I pray for Ryan as we're going to team teach this one that, that uh, you would use us all to, to just really make our marriages better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.